Welcome to another Scholar Tea episode. We are two scholars bringing you the tea. I'm Shauna. And I am Cameron Caro. And we are going to have a great episode today. It's our first episode of season three, and we are excited to say that we have a very nice lineup for you this season. So stay tuned as more episodes unveil themselves uh, during the spring and summer months. So Let's really quickly move into a temperature check. Uh, describe your mood as if it were a phone app. Oh, phone app. So I used to love Twitter. So I'm going to say this. My mood today is Twitter before Elon Musk. And I say that because Twitter, it's spring break and it has been a good week of nothing. Like I had nothing on my calendar this week. I wasn't traveling. I got to spend time with my dog. I got to get caught up on things, still feel behind, but it was a week where I just needed and I appreciated it. Twitter is was one of those places where I would go and like, oh, what's going on in the world? Catch up with what's happening. Um, some people be on that Twitter after dark. I don't know about that life. Allegedly. I used to really enjoy Twitter as my downtime. And that's kind of how I feel today because this week has been a great just downtime a week. Well, for those uh, Android users, I feel like, oh, did you just smack your... <laughs> I, I, I'm muted. <laughs> Android users have the option of Message Plus. It's a wonderful app. It allows you to stay organized. You can um, schedule your messages ahead of time, sometimes weeks in advance. You can send out postcards. You can um, create a whole bunch of threads. You can silence threads. Like there's a whole bunch of functionalities around um, this text messaging app. And I feel very um, multi-dimensional right now. I feel like I can, you know, offer some one-on-one -on -one perspective, but also if I have a group coming at me, I can uh, support that group as well. I'm looking ahead and planning ahead, but also being mindful of the present. And so that is my mood today. <laughs> well, first of all, that app actually sounds very interesting and very useful. And I'm a little excited about that little app y'all got over there on them Google phones. Let me tell you, half of y'all that get text messages from me at 8 a.m. on the dot, that's because I sent it at 2 a.m. I really, I really need that. Like it's it's changed my life with email scheduling. Text message scheduling sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. I even have friends that are doing a lot of international travel, so I can schedule my texts to come through to them when they're awake. And um, those moments when you have insomnia, but you don't want to bring everybody else into your own stuff, that's when it comes really in handy. And birthdays. Yeah, sounds amazing for productivity. Well, in this episode, Shauna, we are going to highlight our Scholar of the Week. We have a little tea going on in the wonderful state of Florida, all sarcasm intended. We are talking to the current NASPA board chair, Dr. Danita Brown-Young, who is going to bring the brilliance, the genius, and drop those gems. We have some things that are problematic that we obviously need to address, and I'm going to come through with that. You're going to come behind me with those jokes of the week. Some people are just listening to the episode, but I'm jokes of the week because they be coming with the fire, allegedly. Ah! And we are going to affirm um, and give some shout outs. Sound good? Sounds fabulous. All right, let's get so, into it. Our Scholar of the Week is Brahim El Gabli, Assistant Professor of Arabic Studies and Comparative Literature at Williams College. Professor El Gabli is a Black Amazigh Indigenous scholar from Morocco. In addition to teaching different levels of Arabic language courses, Professor El Gabli 
teaches a variety of topics in Maghribi and Middle Eastern literature, including trauma and memory, Saharan imaginations, Jews and Arabic literature and film, transitional justice processes, translation, current events, Marxist-Leninist movements, Afro-Arab solidarities, and decolonization movements. His research encompasses areas of language politics, indigeneity, human rights, transitional justice, political violence, archive creation, memory studies, Amazigh and Berber literatures, and environmental humanities. Professor El Gobli's first book that's now out, if y'all are interested, Moroccan Other Archives, History and Citizenship After State Violence, draws on new materials in Arabic, Amazigh, and Berber, French, and Moroccan colloquial Arabic to make a novel argument about the connections between cultural production, history writing, and citizenship in post-1999 Morocco. So pick up that book. It's really interesting. And Professor El Gobli is doing some amazing work. So OMG, WTF, Florida. So let's talk about HB, House Bill 999. According to Florida Senate, House Bill 999 focuses on public institutions of higher education. It revises academic and research excellence standards for preeminent state research universities, provides requirements for hiring state university faculty, authorizes state university board of trustees to review tenure status of faculty members, authorizes state universities to initiate post-tenure reviews for cause, renaming Florida Institute of Politics as Florida Institute for Governance and Civics, revises requirements for general education core requirements, uh, requires articulation coordinating committee to submit certain courses to state board of education and board of governors and we can all imagine what those certain courses are. I mean, that's really the language. Certain courses provides requirements for public post-secondary educational institutions and their presence and board of trustees relating to general education courses. The list goes on and on, it feels like. Um, but House Bill 999 really seems to be trying to run bull through a, an entire China shop, uh, then the, the chocolate factory, then maybe an orphanage. So what is going on in Florida? You know, I think a lot of people are paying attention to it because they're worried that it's going to, if not already, uh, permeate what's happening in their states as well. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about this before about, you know, everybody's like, oh, how can you live in Florida when these other states have to copy and paste? Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a part of the bill that Dr. Anika Williams, who used to work here at Florida State, she tweeted about the misinformation circulating about HB99 and Republicans are responding and saying, oh, it's not going to impact multicultural student organizations on campus like Black fraternities and sororities, multicultural Greek councils, Black Student Union, Latinx Student Union. And recently this week, so this is the week of March 17th um, that we are recording this episode. So we know things change fluidly, so it could change mm -hmm. by the time this episode airs. But somebody did bring an amendment to the floor, and the amendment would protect Black Greek organizations, minority student unions, and multicultural centers. Amendment was rejected and offered no exemption. And the language still stands in the bill that no university may expend any funds to maintain any programs that espouse diversity. Mm -hmm. So the shit is popping off left and right here. People are saying that, oh, the bill is not going to do these things uh, when people when they are called out on 
how problematic the bill is. The bill does have amendments that protect, I believe, first gen programming, women in STEM, and a couple of other things that are quote unquote minority serving. But this bill is such a huge issue, not only because of your point of you know, this is going to permeate across states, but if they can get this through, what is to follow it, right? What mm-hmm. is to follow how how deep and how far they're going to take this all for some egotistical governor's presidential campaign and run that might impact, gener- it's going to impact generations of of not only students, but professionals, the state higher education system in Florida. So y'all hiring? No, just kidding. But um, it's it's really thinking critically about, you know, as soon as somebody comes to me, look, I know this is going to, I don't know who's going to hear this, but I just want to make it clear. As soon as someone comes to me and says, you need to change the title of your course, or you can't teach or talk about this, then this probably is not the place for mm-hmm. me. And I mean, in addition to thinking about that age old conversation around academic freedom, you know, I have a, a unique position to helping people understand in a really gross way, but you do what you got to do sometimes, the bottom line and how a diverse faculty, diverse staff, a diverse student population at the end of the day, not only enriches a pluralistic learning environment, but also helps your actual financial bottom line. And Florida, I mean, I think uh, they're financially okay. They're pretty stable, but um, the way that they centralize everything to begin with is starting to make their uh, educational institutions a little bit on a sliding scale, a little rocky, you know, I know the smaller schools are suffering a little bit more than those larger flagships. I'm about to say FSU and UF are pretty good. It's those Mm -hmm. those other institutions that are not preeminent state institutions that are, are really struggling. So in addition to impacting generations of Floridians and maybe folks that would have otherwise considered moving to Florida to get an education, like you're impacting your economic situation as a state long-term as well, because someone wants to be president. I don't know if you saw, but even FAMU is like, oh, do we now have to reshift and rename things in our budget because they're going to go against things in this bill? A minority serving institution, a historically black institution, a land grant institution founded by the state um, in some regard to intentionally educate those most oppressed and most minoritized now are are subject to this bill that really doesn't have anything to do with them. And I really wonder if at what point will the federal government intervene? When you think about an institution like FAMU, you got Edward Waters in Jacksonville, right? Like the law school, uh, FAMU's law school is in Orlando. I wonder at what point when you have these kinds of institutions that have um, longstanding histories and thinking about where at least the current administration is trying to go with this country, when do you intervene and say enough is enough? Well, that's kind of my frustration, Shana, with the higher education leaders in the state that are leading these institutions. Now, some of them are extremely conservative. Mm-hmm. We see what happened down at the UF. But like you, you are touting diversity and you are touting that in recruitment of minoritized students and faculty And you are saying these are things that we value. You have intrinsically put these as part of strategic plans, but you're not going to stand in that conviction and go up against an administration and a legislature that is trying to wipe all of that away. That doesn't sit well with me with a lot of these higher education leaders. If If those people can band together, what was the state colleges of Florida band together to get rid of CRT? 
then state leaders can also band together and stand in a conviction of the value of DEI. And in the face of an enrollment cliff, right? Mm-hmm. Is this what you really want? Um, but you're also going to experience brain drain on a whole nother level as a state if this continues to move this way. I mean, the bill is going to pass. Like, I really hate to mm-hmm. say that. The only hope is that, as you can see with the anti-woke bill that passed last year, that's in a stay for the courts, right? And I think I don't think this is going to get through just based off quote unquote, this wonderful U.S. Constitution. I don't think it freedom of speech, it's, it's not going to be upheld. But the courts have been stacked so heavily with conservatives strategically for the past 30 years that it's like, oh, they did that on purpose. So things like this could get through. But legally, it's going to be challenged. So I don't know how long it's going to take for it to actually get implemented or if it even might go up as far as the Supreme Court. But I don't see this being upheld in a logical anyways. Right. Well, because in my last, like, again, it's not logical, but those freedom of speech people that be screaming to hell and high water about other issues that happen around DEI in higher ed, I would imagine that this would be a moment where they would be screaming as well, right? I mean, if it's really about speech, then I'm not understanding why more conservative folks that are about freedom of speech aren't as concerned about this as maybe they should be. Could you imagine if Biden and Harris was talking about, oh, you can't say this, this, or this, and they're mm-hmm. streamlined conservative values. Some people be mm-hmm. ready to, oh, the, I'm sorry, they already climbed and tried to burn down the Capitol. But mm-hmm. like they would be in an uproar. Yeah. So I, I don't know. The issue with that, I think, is that you inherently feel safe that your values won't be infringed upon. But once once these ones are gone, yours are next, honey. So, and I will, I, I need to figure out how to document this. And I want to raise this with the dean because we've lost a number of top doctoral students this cycle. And every one of them I had a conversation with had major concerns about Florida and Florida politics. Well, you're losing your talent too, because we'll say later on we have a, an announcement for one person, and that's just one person. But I can imagine a lot of people that have equal measure of talent are leaving your, your state right now. Y'all hiring? Come on through. Well, that's what's happening right now in these academic streets. As you all know, this is going to ebb and flow as the legislative cycle continues this spring. so excited for our guest this week. We always say that we're so excited, but we know we really be excited to be talking to these brilliant scholars and practitioners. Dr. Danita M. Brown-Young is currently the Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Before moving to Champaign, she served as Vice Provost for Student Affairs and Dean of Students at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Prior to that position, she worked in Student Affairs at Purdue University including serving as the youngest and first African-American woman Dean of Students at Purdue. Dr. Brown-Young holds a BA in Sociology from Kent State University and her Master's in Community Counseling from Loyola University of Chicago and earned her PhD from Ohio University. She is a proud member of the lovely ladies of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. She's Lynx, um, NASPA ACPA member, and she was awarded NASPA Pillar of the Profession Award in 2021. She currently is serving as the NASPA board chair and ready to welcome us to Boston for those of you that will be going to the NASPA conference. With over 20 years of experience in student affairs and higher education, Dr. Brown-Young is an accomplished ambassador for students and understands the critical role student affairs must play in successfully meeting the land-grant promises of educational access and opportunity 
opportunity to help create a more socially just society. Let's welcome Dr. Nina Brown-Young to Scholar Tea. So we are very excited and blessed to welcome Dr. Danita Brown-Young to Scholar Tea today. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us. Um, hey, thank you for having me. Yes, uh, we're excited. You're, you're gearing up for NASPA. Uh, and I know you got a lot going on, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I'm happy to be here for sure. This is great. So thinking about your career trajectory, uh, what originally drew you to pursue a career in the academy? I wasn't supposed to be here. I was supposed to be a counselor working in high school, helping with students and families who had financial problems, mental health problems. And I was supposed to be teaching math, actually. <laughs> but I had a graduate assistantship at Loyola University in Chicago, and I fell in love with higher education and student affairs and the ability to kind of shape and mold and guide and to really pour into the social mobility and, and helping people achieve their goals. And that was one thing that was, it's always been taught in my family and in my community about making sure that we are pouring in to people and investing in people and helping them become what they're capable of becoming and, you know, achieving their goals. So I, when I went to Loyola, I fell in love with higher education and just the ability to change lives and their trajectory. Like this sounds to me, it sounds, you know, transformational in the sense of really thinking about, we think our life is set out one way and then boom. Yeah, it doesn't always end up that way. Right. So when thinking about this trajectory in our current context, how do you imagine your trajectory progressing with all the social contexts that you're having to deal with in your senior administrative role? Well, I think it's been pushing me, you know, given what's going on locally, socially, uh, globally, um, with the dueling pandemics, when we're talking about systemic racism, we're talking about the mental health challenges, the physical challenges, COVID impacts on learning and development. I think the, the impact that it's had on changing my trajectory is pushing me to do more to kind of change higher education as we've known it. You know, it's really unfortunate that we're here in, you know, 2023, but we're still using this 13th century, 17th century Harvard model on obtaining a degree in credentials and not really keeping pace with what has happened in other fields like technology or medicine. I think we've just been set on this one pathway for a student or a person to obtain their credentials. And we got to blow that model up. We absolutely have to think about different pathways for people, for parents, um, for student parents, um, you know, thinking about accessibility, what is truly needed in our community, in our world today. You know, you're looking at the Googles and the Microsofts and how they are creating these programs for people to get their credentials, get the experiences and the skill sets that they need. And it may not take four years of a traditional residential campus. So we have to start thinking differently about uh, what does that mean to obtain a degree? And so for me, it's like, pushing greater, um, using the influence that I have, working with faculty, working with our, our Senate and deans to think differently about um, how we can truly help our students be successful 
in uh, a way that saves them money and, and time, but also helps them grow and develop along the way. And you definitely have a lot of influence, not just at Illinois, but within the field writ large, um, have a lot of experience under your belt of firsts in many different ways. And so you have <laughs> a lot of knowledge to offer and thinking about that. Um, what advice would you offer aspiring VPSAs? Oh boy. I, you know, definitely these jobs can be lonely. It can be isolating. There's a lot of political landmines to navigate. So for me, it's about um, one, you got to have a support network. For me personally, uh, it's about faith in having my identity as a Christian and to get me through some of this, but also having some coworkers and friends outside of the institution that I work with to share those personal frustrations because there are going to be some trying days uh, for sure. I would also say that you don't have to broadcast every moment of your life. We got so many folks, particularly, you know, I look at some of these groups on Facebook, our professional groups, and everybody wants to share every moment of their life, every interaction they've had with their supervisor, you know, put all their frustrations, all their business out uh, in these public forums and social media. And I'm saying that's not always the best way to do that because um, folks watch those, Okay. And they can use that against you. And, you know, it might be tougher for you when you do decide you want to move on and look for another job. Folks are going to remember, okay, wow, this is how you handled certain situations. You might not want to do that. And I, I, I was speaking to a group last semester and I said, listen, real G's move in silence. So therefore, <laughs> you don't have to put everything out there uh, in 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 the uh, atmosphere with social media, but I would also say a couple things in terms of building up relationships is going to be key. You need your allies. You have to understand the money. You have to understand your funding, the budgets, how it works. You need to be engaged in the community because that's also important. You are a community person. Your, your institution is in the community. That means you are a community member too. So you have to make sure that you are understanding the culture uh, before you make any change in movement. And, you know, just try to have fun uh, in everything that you do. Remember that you're, you're pouring into people that you need to invest into people. What I think is so important there, what you're saying is for me is like when you move in silence, the work speaks for itself. That's right. And it's, yeah, that's a lesson that everybody's going to learn at some point, but you can learn, <laughs> you can learn it quicker. Yeah, um. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, your actions will speak louder, you know, it'll make room for your gift and, and people will see people take notice of the work that you're doing. So look at, look at the outcomes, focus on the outcomes. Like I said, build those relationships because that's definitely going to be key. Dr. Brown Young, what, what do you think about healing and growing within higher education? If you, you alluded to this earlier in your response, but what possibilities exist when we think about holistic, transformative lear learning spaces, and, and especially with the work that you do um, in student affairs and thinking co-curricular learning and how that can be healing and transformative for, for students. You know, again, I think it's all connected to that public engagement, community engagement, making sure that we are talking to nonprofits or employers around experiences for our students to get 
um, and learn the skill sets, you know, particularly our first generation, our low and limited income students, um, providing these opportunities for them to learn, gain this experience, real world experience, experiential uh, experiences, and not just in the classroom. Uh, making sure that they need, you know, opportunities to help them communicate. This is what we hear constantly from our employers um, who are, you know, want to do internships. It's like, how are we teaching our students to communicate? How are we teaching them to be good decision makers or leaders or work in very diverse, complex groups? And, you know, uh, helping them understand what an inclusive environment means. And um, I think there's some opportunity for us to conduct some development for everybody, whether that's faculty, staff, or students along those lines, and just to rethink what it truly means to obtain higher education. And also, I know a lot of folks may not realize, but um, Danita was my supervisor slash mentor uh, not too long ago. And you had to, I only got a, a small glimpse into what your life might've been like at the, the start of the pandemic for the U.S. and then going into the pandemic and quarantining, like there was a lot going on. You were shouldering a lot. Um, so in what, way, in what ways have you learned to choose yourself in, in the midst of everything that's happening uh, in the past and then currently? Oh boy. You know, first of all, I always have a tremendous team and I'm very fortunate to, to have a team when I, I can, I can build out a team that supports one another. And, you know, during the pandemic, when that first hit, I mean, we could have undermined each other, ran away from each other, but we decided that we were going to be there for one another. We were going to run towards each other and support each other uh, and understand when we needed a break because it was constant, constant, constant. So for me, it, it's about flexibility. Uh, I've always been a proponent about flexibility, but now I truly am. I understand that we have operational needs that you know, for some of our jobs, most of our people did not leave this campus because they had to be on campus working, uh, even though students were away, you know, folks in the residence halls or dining, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that you can't be creative in how you're supporting them or providing benefits. So for me, it's about uh, giving myself grace, giving others grace as well, and being flexible uh, in terms of what I need when it's too much, changing how I do calendars, you know, the back to back to back, that doesn't work. It's not productive. It's not healthy. We don't need to have hour long meetings with folks. I, you know, you give somebody an hour, they're certainly going to try to fill it up with nonsense. And it's like, <laughs> some days you just need to get to the point and, you know, how we can be uh, productive and creative and, and work together in those capacities. But sometimes I have 15 minutes meetings. I don't have a full hour or we've changed how we conduct our searches, you know, particularly in the academy and student affairs, particularly, we want to have a search. We want to have full two days of a search 
and all these presentations, everybody's got to be there. I'm like, no, we need to cut that out. We don't need presentation because all people are going to do is pick it apart. Like they're so perfect and we don't need to do that. We can combine, have some questions. I now only meet with candidates for 20 minutes. That it's enough. And if somebody has additional questions, obviously they can follow up, but, you know, just making those little changes to ensure that people are taking care of themselves, their needs, their family. I have a four-year-old daughter. Okay. And so she comes first. I'm not going to miss her activities. If I can, you know, do it, I'm not going to miss it, but yeah, putting yourself first and being flexible and modeling that for the team. Well, Dr. Brown Young, we appreciate you. We thank you. The last thing that we do with our guests is we call it the lightning round. Oh and boy, it's, okay. a, it's a kind of this or that format and it's a forced choice. A forced, forced choice. Okay. Uh-oh, I'm a little scared on this. Yeah, there's no hanging on the fence, no in the middle. Okay. No gray. All right. All right. So gospel or R&B? Ooh, gospel. Buckeyes or Wolverines? Oh, H-I-O, Buckeyes <laughs> all the way. You know better than that. We don't do that state up north. <laughs> Sorry. Shana Shady. NASPA <laughs> or ACPA? NASPA or ACPA. Was that the question? NASPA. Cruise or all-inclusive resort? Cruise. Um, I'm just a messenger, so please do not. I'm for the messenger. Red or pink? Cruise. <laughs> Today is go red day. It, it's red. It is. It is red. But it is you go know, red day. people it need to understand day. that in order to make pink, you need red. Mm. And she got her pearls on. I'm going to let you have that today. <laughs> uh, sincerely love you. Uh, thank you again for sharing. And I, I hope, well, I'm sure people that were able to tune in uh, got a lot out of what you had to share. So um, thank you for spending time with us. Well, thank, thank you for you. being would... accessible because sometimes, you know, people feel like the BPSA is not accessible. So thank you for that. I try, I, I try to be, you know, that's, that's why we're here. That's exactly why we're here for sure. So have a wonderful you. weekend. You too. Bye. Well, as always, I, I love my time with Danita. Uh, that was great. And, you know, I, I miss her so much. But thank you again for your time. I hope NASPA is amazing. I hope that people really benefit from her leadership and um, that y'all are able to have a really well-rounded, great experience at the conference this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. NASPA is like my quote unquote fun conference. I haven't really got involved with NASPA the way I've been involved with ACPA. So I go to see people and go to engage and get my little professional development. So I'm excited to have leadership such as Danita really thinking critically about, about this work and how it can be more transformative. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to what's problematic. So Shauna, we talk about this, but like we've talked about it in conversation with other things. So I want to be really explicit about what's problematic this week. And what's problematic is folks need to stop asking us to do more with less. And what I mean by us is all of us that work in higher education. We often hear, oh my gosh, we are in this together. But I can't help but think about how the American individualism is keeping us from working together to effectively accomplish things in higher education. 
We that work in academic affairs, student affairs, do DEI work and so on, have always felt that we can't ask for assistance when we need it because we sometimes make us feel we asking for too much. We oftentimes feel like we can't speak up when something is wrong and that we must suffer in silence when we're drowning in unmet expectations because of the same societal norm perpetuated in higher education. So for example, you want me to recruit more students, but you're not giving me a budget for marketing and recruitment. You want me to Child. program, <laughs> right? <laughs> you want me to program for more students, but not giving me the staffing support and resources so my programs can have the reach they're intended to have. You want me to solve racism on campus, but don't want to be held accountable when I name how the institution is racist. So Shauna, as you probably deal with this way more than I do on the academic affairs side, but as program coordinator, the, the Band-Aid has been ripped off this year with these expectations of meeting certain benchmarks or comparing apples to oranges in terms of why aren't you doing th what this program is doing? So I can only imagine at the administrative level what's happening in terms of resources. And that is just extremely problematic. Um, and, and it's done on purpose, right? It's almost setting us up to not have either successful outcomes or to drain us of the passion and the will that brought us to this profession in the first place. One, two, three, four, five, fifth. I will say this. <laughs> about to get me caught up. But what I will say, I try to center my understanding around a lot of these decisions and decision-making. And so within the sphere of influence that I do have, I try to create healthy work environments. I do not try to stretch people to the max. I try to be very people focused in all my decisions. And I try to encourage my, my fellow uh, colleagues to think in a similar way, in a similar vein. Um, and so one thing I can say, you know, who knows what the future holds for me, but uh, as I continue to think about career advancement and whatnot, I, I think I would just focus on the lessons I learned in all of this and I do take those lessons and I try to um, extract as much as possible from them and apply them to my day-to-day and -day. setting expectations, at least within our unit, people understand, you know, we, we care for each other. We actually take very good care of each other, even in, in the midst of limited resources. And it's okay not to get some things done uh, in order to take care of yourself, your family, your students, you know? So, and, and I think that's I the real lesson that, that you're yeah. offering and that we all need to take away is when we are in the leadership roles or we are in the decision-making power roles or we are in the budgetary understandings and realms and have the bigger picture that sometimes our staff don't have, how do we then communicate that in a way that offers realistic expectations? Mm -hmm. And I have learned that if there were ever a moment where we needed to start something as an institution, I would ask us to stop three things to get that one thing accomplished. That's for sure. Because I wouldn't want anybody to feel like I was asking them to do more with less. Well, folks, that's what's problematic this week. Shana, you got them jokes. You got I them jokes, Shana. Shana, you got them jokes. You got them jokes, Shana. Shana, you got them jokes. Hey. <laughs> so let's see how this goes. What you, you got ready? for me? Why did the smartphone need glasses? Because I couldn't see. It lost all its contacts. <laughs> What do you call a religious quarterback? A religious quarterback? Jesus? Would you? Jesus? <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. Touchdown, Jesus. A pastor. Oh, past her. Black pastor. 
Okay. Faster. Yeah, I wasn't sure how that one was going to go. What did the hammer say to his boys? What did the hammer say to his boys? I'm not sure. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, these are clever. (laughs) I took my husband to an orchard. We stared at the trees for an hour and a half. Not the Apple Watch he was expecting for his birthday. For me, it's the acting, it's the delivery, it's the execution. I appreciate your commitment. <laughs> uh, don't ask me for no Apple Watch. I'll take you. <laughs> the orchard you go. Mm, what does LeBron like to eat with his salsa? I don't know. NBA championships. Oh, he doesn't have many of those, but okay. No, let me stop. You know, I'm not going to hate on that man. I'm not going to hate on that man. No, I all time leading score. He's doing some stuff in the community. So hat tip. Uh, Many congratulations to Dr. DeAndre Mull, who was recently named vice chancellor for student affairs at the University of Colorado Boulder. Also, congrats to Dr. Mull for the newest addition to her family. She's so cute. Further, many congratulations to Dr. Safa Zaki, who was recently appointed as the first woman president of Baldwin College since it was chartered in 1794. First woman, Ophelia Sapita of the Tohono O'odham Nation wrote, We travel carrying our words. We arrive at the ocean with our words. We are able to speak of the sounds of thunderous waves. No matter where you are in the world, you carry your worth and your wholeness with you, your whole and entire being. You possess a power that you can wield, which may feel stronger when you're in spaces that feel like home. But remember, even in moments where you don't have the words, you will always be able to execute the essence of your knowing in whatever you touch. Well, that's it for us on this episode of Scholar T. We hope to see y'all in these academic streets. Peace, love, and soul. (laughs) 